Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me loud and clear? Yes. Marvellous. Thank you. What an encouraging meeting it's been so far. just want to thank the worship team for the, for the great songs that they've chosen, sung so beautifully for us today. Thank everyone who's brought a word of scripture or a word of encouragement for us. I've been really blessed and encouraged. And to hear what the youth have shared this morning has just been incredible. So thank you, everyone, for what you've shared so far. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come in um, as we begin this little talk. Holy Spirit, thank you for what you've done already in the meeting so far. Thank you for what you are showing us about your caring heart that you have, Lord, for each one of us. And I pray that we get a deeper sense of that as we look at your word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So here we are, a week after Easter. Feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? So much has happened. It can happen in a week. But what an Easter it was, wasn't it? The glorious sunshine that we had, which as we know in this country can't be counted on, on a bank holiday, but we had it. And I hope you were able to enjoy it. I certainly was. I unfortunately didn't have any Easter eggs this year. Not a single one, I know. And that is, as Lord Trigger would say in The Apprentice, with regret. No, no, no Easter eggs, sadly. But I did have the most incredible pork pie. Oh. <laughs> now, I love pork pies, and I love them so much, I actually went to a place called Melton Mowbray, which is, as I'm hearing many of you know, is the home of the pork pie. So I had this huge pork pie with a cranberry topping. Yeah, and it was amazing. So I got it from the pork pie shop in Melton Mowbray, and as I was walking down the street... I saw a charity shop, and on the sign was written Emmaus. So it's one of the Emmaus charity shops, which I don't remember seeing for years, but I saw it on that Easter weekend. And I thought, how timely, considering the subject of today's talk is the road to Emmaus in the book of Luke. So we're just going to set the scene of where this story takes place in the New Testament. So it is on the greatest day in history. It's on Resurrection Day. After Easter, Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, has conquered sin and death, and he is risen. He is risen. He's on the cross. He said, it is finished. Job done. He's done it. He has conquered sin and death, guaranteed our salvation forever. So it is the greatest. Resurrection Day is the greatest day ever. Where would we be without that day? He is our hope, embodied in that day, in that single day when he rose and conquered death. So Mary Magdalene, to set the scene, Mary Magdalene, a couple of other ladies, have gone into the tomb to look for the body of Jesus. He's not there. A couple of angels appear and say, why do you look for the dead among the living? He is risen. He is risen. (laughs) Of course, nobody believes Mary and the others. Why, Why would they? It just sounds ludicrous, beyond in saying that he could be risen. But guess what? He is. He's very much alive. And of course, this is the talk, the talk of the town. Everyone's talking about Jesus. There wouldn't be a single person around who wouldn't have heard about what had happened to the Messiah. 
the hopes of all the believers were on him and his body can't be found. What is going on? So we know that when Jesus rose from the dead, he later went shortly after to be ascended where he sits in glory at the right hand of the Father. But what happened in between the resurrection and the ascension? The passage of scripture we're looking at today, the road to Emmaus, is a wonderful story about an event that happened in between the resurrection and the ascension. And it is from Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 24. Which we could have the slide, please. Thank you. Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. And today I am reading from the NIV. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you for that walk you took with these two guys and what we can learn from that about the heart you have for us. Amen. So this 
on the surface, quite a simple story. Jesus walks along with two of his followers. There are four things that I felt God kind of revealed to me when I was preparing for this. Uh, Four very brief points that we're going to touch upon. The first one is that Jesus meets us where we are. The second is Jesus honours his word. The third is Jesus is patient and full of grace. And the fourth is that walking with Jesus brings us joy. So the first one, Jesus meets us where we are. Now, at the beginning of this passage, the scripture tells us in verse 17 that Jesus approaches these guys and they're standing still and their faces are downcast. So at the moment where this passage begins, these guys, so we have a guy called Cleopas and another guy who's unnamed, both followers of Jesus, they're devastated by the news that Jesus has been killed. Devastated and his body can't be found. So they're standing still and they're downcast. I mean, I don't know if you've ever felt like that, where you've been so gutted and so devastated by something that's happened, that you're paralysed with disappointment and you're, just, you're literally just like that and you're, and you're you know, your face down, absolutely gutted. That's what these guys were feeling. It's how they were feeling at that point. And Jesus, of course, knows he knows that, but he's kind of toying with them to some degree. What are you discussing together as you walk along? Now, the point here is that Jesus, he is the resurrected Messiah now. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And now he's kind of, even though he's always been that, he's conquered death. He's got the bragging rights, as it were. He doesn't need to humble himself and come down to hang out with these guys who are feeling so down and so disappointed. He could just, with bravado, dazzle them with his majesty and authority and say, here I am. But he doesn't do that. He humbles himself, kind of comes down to their level to spend time with them, to hang out with them. Because he loves them, he cares for them. He has compassion. He doesn't just come and say, here I am. He's their downcast, he comes to them and kind of wants to find out from them, hear from them, how are they feeling? What are they thinking? What's, what's going on here? And the point is, Jesus will come to us however we're feeling. We could be having a good day. We could be having a bad day. We could be having an in-between day. He sees and he knows and he cares. He knows the answer, but he wants to come and have that dialogue with us. He wants to come and... It's about relationship. He wants to come hang out with us. Hey, Dom, how are you doing? What's going on with you? He knows. He wants to have that dialogue. Hey, Esther, how are you feeling today? You okay? What's happening in your life? He knows. He cares. He wants to engage with us. If he had come down in in all his glory to these guys, they they wouldn't have been able to have handled it or comprehended it or or understood it. They would have been just overwhelmed because the scripture tells us they they were kept from recognising who he was. They They didn't know that he was the Lord that was with them. They couldn't see that. But he came in a way that was relatable to them so that he could build that conversation, that dialogue with them. So he meets us where we are. Wherever our circumstance is, however we're feeling, he's willing to come and meet with us. 
We can't scare him away. The Bible tells us nothing can separate us from his love. These guys are at a low point and he comes to meet with them, comes to hang out with them, comes to encourage them, comes to bless them, but they can't quite see it yet. And then Jesus, when they say, yeah, are you the only one around who doesn't know what's happened? Everyone's known, this is the, this is the big news. And then Jesus says, what things? Of course he knows. Of course he knows. But he wants to, he wants to, again, he wants to have that intimacy with them. He wants to hear it from their perspective. Then, of course, they recount everything that's happened about what's happened in the tomb and all the confusion that's going on. Which leads us to the second point, that Jesus honours his word. In verse 25, when Jesus says to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Now, Jesus is talking here about all the prophecies that have been spoken about him and all the challenges that he's going to have to face. Later on in, in, in the same chapter, Jesus says, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. See, Jesus was not going to dishonor or disrespect or shortchange the, the word of God or the prophecies that were written about him because Jesus honors the word. Jesus is the word. In the beginning of the book of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Jesus and the Word are indivisible. So when the Scripture says something will happen to the Lord, Jesus bears it, and Jesus respects it, he honours it, he cherishes it, because it's his Father's Word, and he is the Word. So it's all bound up. And the thing here is, Jesus is so humble and obedient to the Word, and he's kind of modelling an attitude to the word that we ourselves should have. What's our attitude to the word? Do we honour it? Do we, have, do we humble ourselves before it? Do we cherish it? Do we, do we respect it? Do we obey it in the way that he did? Of course we don't. We're humans. We're, we're not capable of doing that. But God's grace is sufficient, and God sees our hearts. But when the word is challenging, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, Wow. Easier said than done, isn't it, when we see it? But it's in the word. This is, And Jesus then goes on to explain to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus is at one with the word. And it's, it's, a, it's almost like a throwaway sentence, isn't it? Beginning with, in verse 27, beginning with the Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. But could you imagine what a Bible lesson that was? The word telling you about the word. He doesn't get any better than that. It's almost just like a, a blink and you miss it kind of verse there. And if we just have a look very briefly, I uh, just, just picked out a handful of the prophecies that, that were spoken about Jesus. Scholars reckon that there were about 300, over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament talking about Jesus. As we've heard, all of Scripture is signposting to the Lord, but there are hundreds of them. And I just picked out just a few. 
if we can have that on the slide there, please, Jane. But just a f um, an illustration there where we've got just a handful here of some of the prophecies which may have been some of the ones that Jesus told these guys about as they were walking to Emmaus from Jerusalem. So born of a woman, so in Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So written in Isaiah about 700 years before Christ was born. Emmanuel, of course, meaning God is with us. In Micah 5, verse 2, this talks about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So written in the book of Micah about 800 years before Christ was born. And of course, Isaiah 9, 6, the son of God for us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But being praised by children in Psalm 8, verse 2, from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. And of course, about being crucified, famously in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. I mean, how, how eerily accurate is that? And so, such a powerful foreshadowing of what the Lord was going to go through. Isaiah 53, 5, again, another very well-known verse. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. So the Lord knew what he was going to have to endure. And he respected it, he honoured it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours to the Lord. So very powerful prophecies. So he, and going on to, to the third point, that Jesus is patient and full of grace... He's explaining, he's taking his time to explain all of these truths to these two guys as he's walking along from Jerusalem to, to Emmaus, which it tells us in verse 13 is about seven miles from Jerusalem. So, seven, so imagine a seven-mile walk with Jesus as he's telling you all these truths. Now, Google Maps tells me that from this hall to St. Albans city centre is about six miles. So imagine walking from here to, alongside Jesus. He's taking his time... 15,000 steps is seven miles. It's about two hours, 20 minutes, a leisurely pace. So two and a half hours, say, walking with Jesus. No rush, taking his time, telling you all the things about himself. And it just shows the patience he has. It almost sounds like in verse 25 that he's telling them how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. But actually... He's very patient, very understanding, very compassionate, investing that time. I mean, this is the risen King of Kings. This is the resurrected Messiah. He's, and yet he's taking time out with these two guys who are kind of, they're not even in, in the inner circle. They're not one of the 11. They are kind of outsiders in a way. They're just there being downcast. And he's spending time with outcasts, walking along with them, taking his time explaining to them. But still, they're kept from knowing who he is at this point. But what a lesson that is, that Jesus is willing to hang out with those people who are on the periphery of things. 
and to reveal the truth to them. And going on to uh, the fact that he, they, they couldn't see with their physical eyes who he was at this point, but it tells us in verse 32 that their hearts were burning within them. You know, sometimes our hearts tell us what our eyes can't. You ever had that? In church specifically, I've had moments where I've had like a burning in my heart and I think, wow, is that God telling me something? I remember clearly I was in KCC one morning and my heart was burning in my chest, kind of like it's talking about here. I felt God wanted me to come up to the microphone and share share something. And I thought, no, I, I don't think so. I don't want to do that. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel... And I kind of felt that burning. And I, was, I still said, no, Lord, I'm not going to do it. Bad of me. I know, I can't believe I'm... I'm but I was like, no, if that's really... If you want that to be spoken, someone else will go and say it, but it's not going to be me. And about 20 seconds after I said that to the Lord, someone else came up to the microphone and word for word said what I felt God had wanted me to say. I was like, no way. And, but in a way, I learned then that that burning, yeah... I, when I get that burning, I, I can't keep that in. I have to share it. And another time I had, a, had a, it wasn't so much a burning, it was like a nudge in my gut. It was the first time I went to, to Russia with DR. I was sitting in the, in the congregation and David was talking about the Russia trip and, and I felt this thing and I was like, no, no. But I couldn't see with my eyes, of course, but in my heart I felt, you know what, God wants me to do, to do that, to go on that. Made no sense to me at all. But I went and, you know, what? one of the best things I ever did was, was go on that, on that first trip with, with DR to, to Russia. But that sometimes we can't see with our eyes, with our physical sense, what our hearts are already telling us. These guys here, it says that, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is by now. They've, they already have recognized who he was after he's broken bread. And, of course, when they realize that, they are just burning with excitement and they can't keep it in. They, have, they rush back to Jerusalem. So after this has happened, uh, verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. So they've, they've legged it back the seven miles back to Jerusalem because they cannot contain that excitement. So which brings us to really the, the kind of the closing point is that walking with Jesus brings joy. So we know that at the beginning of the passage, they're standing there downcast, sullen, gutted, devastated because of what's happened. By the end of the passage, they, having spent time with Jesus, having heard his words, recognise that, it, yes, this is our Lord, they're just overwhelmed with excitement and they can't wait to tell other people about it. So the encounter that, that we have with Jesus, we walk with him, it doesn't matter where, what our situation is, where we're at in life, we hang out with him, we spend time with him. We always end up in a better position. We always end up full of joy. We've heard um, songs this morning, Jesus being our guardian. We've heard from Psalm 23, though we walk in the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because our shepherd walks with us. So it's a deceptively simple story, but it's so, such a profound, uh, there are so many profound meanings in here about how Jesus does walk with us how Jesus cares about us, 
how he's patient with us, he's full of grace with us, he's willing to explain things to us, take his time with us, and ultimately how he transforms our situation by when his presence comes with that, joins our presence, our situations are transformed. So I've just got a, f- a final slide, please, uh, Jane. Thank you. You might recognise those two people if, from the back if you've been on Alpha, Nikki and Pippa Gumble. This was on Nikki Gumble's Instagram a couple of weeks ago. You can talk to God anywhere and at any time. I was taught very early in my Christian life to talk as you walk through the day. One thing that I do is sometimes I go for walks. I don't walk seven miles, admittedly. I might walk a mile or two. Um, but I, I, I like to just talk and pray, chat with God as I, as I, as I walk around. And, and um, Wherever it is, it can even be in a busy high street, could be in the woods, wherever. I just like to talk and pray as I walk along. And this passage really encourages me uh, and reminds me that, you know, I don't walk alone. Jesus walks with me when I engage with him. I just invite him in and he, and he will never leave me or forsake me. He's always going to be walking alongside me. Uh, so wherever you are today, invite him to walk alongside you because you will never walk alone. And walking with him will always bring you joy. Your situation will always be transformed for the better when you invite him to walk alongside you. So I'm just going to invite the band up uh, who are going to just uh, lead us in a closing song. Um, but I would just encourage you, invite Jesus into your situations and walk beside him because you will never walk alone when he's with you.